Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And if you've been listening recently, you'll know that I've been examining in depth the uh, foreign policy of Harry Truman in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War. And today we're going to look at the Truman Doctrine, uh, Truman's first major policy statement about America's approach to dealing with the threat of communism. So, how does the Truman policy come up? The Truman Doctrine, I beg your pardon, come about? Well, as you know, or as you will know if you've been uh, tuning into the last few podcasts, by 1946-47, Truman was still at a point of um, major indecision about um, what America's stance towards communism would be. Truman was a relatively inexperienced foreign policy president, uh, and he um, lacked an awful lot of the wartime diplomacy experience that Roosevelt had had, so his initial um, instinct was to be more belligerent towards the Soviet Union. But on top of that, he was well aware that he uh, needed to um, avoid direct military confrontation, not because of the, um, the costs of uh, war that would be involved. The Soviet Union don't get their own nuclear weapon until 1949 but really because of a reluctance on the part of uh, the American population at large, and certainly on the part of uh, both houses um, of Congress, uh, in order to um, commit militarily long-term to the defence of other countries. There was a similar wave of isolationist sentiment emerging in America as had emerged at the end of the First World War. So here again, we're looking at Grand Expectations by James Patterson, um, and it's a, a problem that emerges in America's nearest ally, Great Britain, that forces Truman's hand. Um, Patterson writes, It happens often in history that nations take bold moves only when external events force their hand. That happened to Truman uh, in 1947 when Great Britain sent word that it no longer had the resources to maintain political stability in Greece and Turkey, areas that the British had until then considered parts of their sphere of interest. The spectre of rising communist influence, if not control, of the eastern Mediterranean suddenly loomed before American officials. Worst-case scenarios included the downfall of the pro-Western monarchy in Greece, then embroiled in a civil war against the communist insurgents, Renewed Soviet pressure on Turkey, a key buffer for Greece um, and the gateway to the Middle East, and even perhaps Soviet domination of Iran, a 
and the oil-rich nations surrounding it. At that time, Western Europe, struggling to recover from World War II, obtained 75% of its oil from the area. So, uh, a threat to Greece and Turkey was an enormous problem. Um, Winston Churchill had, uh, in the percentages agreement with Stalin, uh, agreed um, that the British would have a major influence in Greece. Stalin was largely obliging with this, knowing that, in return, Churchill was willing to guarantee him uh, a virtually free hand in Eastern Europe. The uh, percentages agreement was viewed by Stalin as uh, a nonsense, as it had the British and the Americans having percentages of interest in countries like uh, Hungary and Poland and Czechoslovakia, where their percentage in reality was going to be zero. So Stalin um, saw Greece as a kind of a, a minor offering to uh, give to Churchill to placate him. Uh, but he really viewed the whole pre whole process as uh, a, an absurdity, which indeed it was. It was Churchill's way, really, of uh, attempting to, at the final stages of the war, attempt to continue projecting power. Britain was forced to withdraw uh, from Greece in 1947 as a result of Britain's uh, convertibility uh, crisis, or its currency crisis. In 1945, John Maynard Keynes had gone to Washington with the hope of obtaining a loan from America. Um, not just a loan, but a, a grant of money. Uh, the British believed that they were entitled to some sort of gift of money from America, considering the uh, period of time during the war when Britain had fought uh, on its own. Actually, to describe Britain as fighting on its own is a bit of a nonsense, really, because it had an entire empire behind it. Um, and Britain uh, also hoped to uh, gain a loan, or managed to gain a loan um, at the same time, from Canada. The uh, American uh, US Treasury was reluctant to uh, give a grant of money to Britain, and instead offered a loan, a much smaller loan than Keynes had been hoping for, and offered it um, on particular terms, that the pound became fully convertible by 1947. This meant that by 1947, uh, all currency controls on the pound would be removed, so the pound could be bought and sold on the international money markets. This made, meant that um, the pound could be sold in large quantities if it was considered no longer worth particularly owning. So if you had an economy like America's that was um, expanding and an economy like Great Britain's that was uh, shrinking, it would make sense for um, an individual to sell pounds and buy dollars, thus depressing the value of the pound and inflating the value of the dollar, uh, and thus the uh, size of the US economy. Um, the uh, US Treasury knew full well that this would be the effect and it would really be the thing that would uh, destroy the British Empire uh, finally. And it would end what many American presidents had seen as an unfair advantage, the uh, British being able to artificially inflate the value of their currency and capture um, markets, uh, colonial markets, cheap raw materials 
and uh, populations who only had the option of buying British goods and in doing so giving uh, British world power a stay of execution uh, keeping it alive uh, for that bit longer. Well, uh, the end of the Second World War was a deciding time for many things and it was really a deciding time for British world power uh, which came to an end uh, as a result of the war um, and slowly ebbed away over the following two decades. The convertibility crisis uh, that plunged Britain in 1947 into recession and into austerity forced the Labour government to extend rationing um, to, to the end of the uh, Labour government um, and it finally ended in 1954. Um, but peacetime rationing um, of certain um, uh, produce and goods such as bread uh, there were certain items that had never been rationed uh, even during wartime uh, that came to be rationed uh, during this period of austerity. So that's the transition that Britain was facing. So the idea of spending hundreds of millions to keep British soldiers in places like Greece uh, and Turkey and Palestine. Though admittedly there was only a small contingent of military advisers in, in Turkey, but mainly Greece and Palestine, um, was asked the question. Truman said he later hugely regretted treating Britain in this way, mainly because of the problems that it then caused for America. If Britain was no longer able to fulfil uh, this role in the east of the Mediterranean, then America would have to, otherwise risk handing the world's oil supplies to the Soviet Union. It was George Marshall and Dean Acheson who very quickly uh, informed the President that there would be no choice but for America to fill Britain's role uh, by sending aid to Greece and Turkey um, and military assistance if necessary. The administration was worried about Congress. Uh, um, a couple of months ago I did a podcast on the loss of uh, both houses to the Republicans in 1946 as there was a general shift towards the right and towards kind of radical uh, anti-communism. Um, the, the problem were, was that despite the fact that the Republicans were ardent anti-communists, they were also um, dominated by uh, an ardent anti-interventionist spirit as well. Their anti-communism was more uh, of the domestic policy variety. And decreasing commitments to Europe was the far more popular idea as far as the Republican Party was concerned. However, when Truman called uh, a meeting um, between the uh, administration uh, and key congressional leaders, Dean Acheson um, made a very, very colourful picture um, which kind of prefigured the domino theory. Um, he said, Like apples in a barrel, infected by one rotten one, the corruption of Greece would infect Iran and all to the east. It would also carry infection uh, to spread through Asia Minor and Egypt uh, and to Europe through Italy and France. The Soviet Union was playing one of the greatest gambles in history at minimum cost. We, and we alone, uh, were in the position to break up this play. The Republican Arthur Vandenberg, who sat on the, well, as head of the Foreign Relations Committee, was impressed 
and kind of shocked by what Aitchison had to say. And he spoke directly and frankly to Truman. He said that the only way to get the funding that you want was to make a personal appearance before Congress and scare the hell out of the American people. And this is precisely what Truman did. So the uh, effect that the Truman Doctrine had, as it was based in the um, practice of raising uh, levels of anti-communist anxiety uh, across the United States, is it was part of the um, beginnings of the anti-communist era, the anti-communist hysteria that would later uh, grip uh, the United States, because the uh, global nature of what Truman saw as the communist threat was brought home and articulated in very frank terms to um, the uh, American people. On March the 12th, Truman appeared before Congress and called for $400 million in military aid to Greece and Turkey. And he justified this by saying, I believe that it must be the policy of the United States to support free peoples who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures. I believe that we must assist free people to work out their own destinies in their own way. I believe that our help should be primarily through economic and financial aid, which is essential to economic stability and orderly political process. Once Truman had finally got off the fence and made his decision um, and had stopped vacillating as he had done for the last um, two years, he was able to very swiftly grace, uh, embrace a far more proactively anti-communist stance. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And a far more proactively interventionist stance. But he was not without critics. Um... Many in the Republican Party, as well as those on the uh, pacifist um, left um, who had followed the career of um, Henry Wallace in the Democrat Party, who was um, on the far on the kind of the, the more dovish wing of the party, um, were alarmed at the cost of $400 million, which was 1% of the total federal budget at that time, which was $40 billion. And that was expected to grow as new uh, requests for aid from Greece uh, and Turkey emerged and perhaps from other countries um, as well. There were some opponents who um, argued that America was uh, breaking from the principles of the Monroe Doctrine, which meant that America stayed largely out of European affairs and Europe stayed out of American affairs, uh, and that America was breaking with the face of the Founding Fathers, who had overthrown the shackles of imperialism, and as America became uh, more and more involved 
in external matters and involved in other countries, then they became more and more likely to act like an imperial power uh, itself. And that uh, America was now taking upon it uh, the role that Great Britain had, uh, and that uh, there was a suspicion that Truman might be exaggerating or distorting the problems of Greece. Um, uh, there was a fear uh, or an accusation that the actions of Truman were now bypassing the new United Nations. And the United Nations role specifically was to uh, deal with um, the threat of external aggression from uh, other countries. As the, uh, the Greeks were being aided at least by Yugoslavia, if not indirectly by Stalin as well. The Truman Doctrine seemed open-ended. It seemed um, an offer, a blank check, to any and every country in the world. Um, there was a question uh, as to whether Truman was going to um, protect the interests of all free people everywhere. Um, critics uh, on the left of the party, or the left of the Democrats, wanted to know why America wanted to provide military uh, aid and why it should go necessarily to um, the, the monarchy of Greece and the dictatorship in Turkey, uh, both extremely uh, unsavoury regimes uh, in terms of their human rights records. Fiorello LaGuardia, who was the liberal former mayor of New York, said that it was not worth a single soldier to keep the Greek king on the throne. Um, Henry Wallace um, also uh, alleged that um, the aid that was being proposed would lead to a century of fear. Uh, Truman showed some of his more uh, skillful political um, instincts here. Um, he succeeded in seizing the middle ground uh, between anti-interventionists, uh, who were mainly on the right, and um, the likes of Wallace uh, on the left. So he had managed to steer a course through the middle, and it was a course that was uh, relatively, if not popular, then widely accepted. And Truman was able to appeal to the instinct, the cause of anti-communism uh, amongst both parties, which triumphed over the instinct uh, against interventionism, so uh, anti-communism beats anti-interventionism. And since the end of the Second World War, the misgivings that so many in both parties had about the Soviet Union and about Roosevelt's judgment when it came to the Soviet Union bubbled over into a call for direct action and an end to um, prevarication and procrastination when it came to dealing with the advances of the Soviet Union uh, into uh, Eastern Europe, Southern Europe and into the Middle East. Truman in 1946 had already um, embarked upon a policy of containment. Um, if you look at a podcast I did, must be eight weeks ago now, talking about American foreign policy at the crossroads. That's when he just throw his, um, his hat in the ring are in terms of containment, but it's the Truman Doctrine that is the big public articulation of that policy and the big public uh, commitment uh, to that policy. Um, 
the uh, plan was voted through Congress, um, 67 to 23 in the Senate, and 284 to 107 in the House. So it's a huge victory. And all of those congressmen and senators were looking at the electorates in their home states and uh, trying to gauge whether they would have their jobs in two years' time. So there was uh, always a kind of a, a political calculation. And the fact that so many throw their um, support behind Truman tends to suggest that doing something about communism in order to preserve this sort of notional American way of life was uh, a, an idea that had widespread support across the USA. A version of the Truman Doctrine um, is embraced by uh, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson and Nixon. In fact, all Cold War presidents of the 60s and 70s um, held uh, the uh, principle of containment um, to be uh, sacrosanct. And the uh, presidents like Kennedy and later on Reagan both believed in uh, going one step further and in that um, communism needed to be forced backwards and of course under Ronald Reagan his uh, single-minded commitment was that um, the Cold War must actually be won by the United States of, of America. Um, under Truman his Secretary of State George Marshall perhaps provided the bigger contribution to um, American uh, soft power in the post-war era in the guise of martial aid. Now this is something that's worthy of a separate podcast all on its own. Uh, I don't want to um, take up much room talking about this, but I just want to kind of introduce the idea of the Marshall Plan. Um, and in uh, 1947, economic aid to Western Europe became, in the eyes of George Marshall, the one device that would actually preserve um, liberal democracy and liberal ca um, democratic capitalism uh, in Europe um, for the foreseeable future. Marshall, when he visited Europe that year, became absolutely certain that unless there was um, an uh, American-directed recovery of uh, Europe, then a resurgent fascism or uh, the threat of communism would sweep away democracies uh, in uh, piecemeal fashion. Uh, Marshall was convinced that within a generation America would be fighting another ground war in Europe unless something significant was done. Marshall was also certain that if uh, economies across Europe could be resurrected um, through aid, then these economies would start to become clients of uh, American goods and services um, and would become excellent marketplaces for uh, American exports. So in the long run, it would make sense for America to, to do this. Um, he said in 1947 that our policy is directed not against any country or doctrine, but against hunger, poverty, desperation and chaos. At this critical point in history, we of the United States are deeply conscious of our responsibilities to the world. We know that in this trying period between a war that is over and a peace that is not yet secure, the destitute and oppressed of the earth look chiefly to us for sustenance and support 
until they can again face life with self-confidence and self-reliance. Across Eastern Europe, um, the communist authorities there quite deliberately restricted food, rationed and used hunger as a way of persuading reluctant populations to embrace them. And one of the um, purposes of martial aid was to present two um, European populations um, who had not really uh, experienced the economic dynamism of and capitalist modernity of the United States. That that allowing oneself to be within an American sphere of influence was a far more attractive uh, option. Um, there were humanitarian concerns behind the Marshall Plan, but it's um, worth noting, of course, that uh, America, like all nation states, was operating off a degree of a considerable degree of self-interest when it came to the plan, and this was what would be ultimately um, part of its, its kind of guiding instincts um, in order to um, enable uh, Congress to uh, authorize such huge um, loans and aid to other countries. So by the end of 1947, Truman who had now fully embraced interventionism, uh, along with George Marshall, who uh, had uh, proposed and had enacted um, the Marshall Plan, um, had gone from a position of relative indecision on Cold War policy um, to one of uh, outright and radical leadership. And as a result of this, um, the uh, diminished position of Great Britain um, was further cemented. And as 1947 became a year of a great withdrawal from uh, Britain, it uh, became a year of uh, enormous um, advances in uh, hard and soft power by the United States. So in terms of developing America's world role, both the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan had a significant part to play. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. I'll finish there and um, do catch us on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye.